This is Shaka Art Speak. Welcome to yeah, Shaka Art Speak. We're back. We've we been on back. vacation. Yes. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> we closed our eyes and opened them, and it was the first. Of the yeah. Month. Yeah. For those of you that felt like January was a year long, uh, my family was sick for a week and a half. So. Yeah. Ooh. Hopefully, I mean, we may not have anybody listening to us because I know if you don't Hello? record, that's too, true. So many, so many weeks in a, a road, like people will migrate. So if you're listening, oh, we're, we're thankful for you. Yeah. Well, we appreciate the uh, consistency, checking yeah, every faithfulness. week and not seeing anything. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. You, you might have been catching up on old episodes. You might That's, have been I mean, rehashing old episodes. Absolutely. Maybe you had a second favorite podcast that you've really been denying yourself. And so you caught up on that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's good to do that. Yes. I'm jealous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that, Cody. <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> but um, what we are back and we're, yes. we're, you know, we're doing a soft jump back into the seat, you know, and, um, <laughs> uh, and so we are, we all have today a question. None of us knows each other's question. Nope. And we're going to pose each other's questions out loud, I guess. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. we're going to decide how we want to proceed and which one we're going to talk about. So literally, if yeah. you're listening, you're right there with us. Yeah, we you're don't hearing know. this for the first time like us. Yeah. Everyone's hearing this for the first time, which is very exciting. I heard my question myself for the first time Facts. like three hours ago. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would probably agree with that. <laughs> okay. To I my heard, question, I heard not mine your right. question. I, I heard did not hear right. your question three I heard hours mine ago. right now. No, I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Um, oh, you'll hear mine just yeah. like I will in like five minutes. <laughs> oh, I'm still waiting for a, a sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Throwback to college days. <laughs> We're waiting for a sign, man. I've got a paper due in two hours, and now I'm just waiting for the inspiration to hit. <laughs> That's right. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who, uh, who wants to throw that question on the table first? Yeah. I can. Holy smokes. So uh, so my question is, um, it can go a number of different ways, but, and I can provide some more, uh, kind of more, more of a preface, but, but my question is, in an age of digital everything, how does our digital existence affect our pursuit of craft? So mm. that's my question. How does our digital existence impact our pursuit of craft? Sorry, I I had to fix my mic. It was gonna fall and hit me in the face. That's, okay, that's don't 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 respond. What's your question, Cody? So my question stems from the fact that me and my wife um, had a surprising opportunity to go to the symphony uh, this last weekend, and What'd three three pieces were performed. Um, so three pieces. The, the capstone was Scheherazade, which nice. is great, um, and there was a. The first piece was I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I think it was. A symphonic version of a uh, maybe religious choral mm -hmm. okay. uh, composition. So no voices, no voices. Oh, and okay. then in between, there was a contemporary piece um, that had sort of like a star cellist performing, mm -hmm. and it incorporated two dancers from the Richmond Ballet. Oh, nice. mm -hmm. And okay. that was interesting because it was the only piece that had a. Uh, crossover component of two different art forms, you know, the symphony, the music playing, and then the, the accompanying yeah. dance. And me and my wife talked a lot about it, and it just got me thinking, like, how... Just questions like, what makes people want to bring two forms of art together? Mm. And why is it that sometimes it really works and mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't really work? So that's more than one question. It is more than one question. So you're cheating. you got to ask one question. 
What do you What do you want to know, Cody? I'm, I'm being stubborn here. Cody. I know. Cody, we're just trying to decide me. which. If you can do one thing for us, real quick, Cody. Yes. Can you? Can I? Yeah. Clarify. I know. I know. Hello. Cody clarifies. Clarify. So, what is the drive to bring together two separate art forms into the same space? Okay, okay that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Great. My question is, how do narratives shape us? Mm. That's a good question. Why do I feel like all these questions are related? Because we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> because we have conversations. Because we drink from the same cup or the same coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least at the minimum. Because yeah. because we have the two hour pre conversation before the off the podcast. <laughs> Even though I promise you, none of us. Yeah, talk I did not know. Yeah, we didn't. These, yeah. These, but yeah, these are. How do narratives shape us? Well, that's, I think we got three good questions. Or you could, or how does story shape us? Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, those are three good questions. I don't know how we we just Rochambeau for this. What do we do? What do you want to do? <laughs> rock, paper, scissors? We could. We I could don't rock, paper, scissors. I never do last. rock, paper, scissors. How you do three people play rock, paper, scissors? How do you time? do that? Well, you can do evens or odds. So you can throw out one or two and then uh, somebody. Okay, it's too hard. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you evens and odds later. But okay. uh, if you do rock, paper, scissors and then whoever's left. So if one person gets eliminated, then the next two. The ones that are left. Whoever's left is okay. your question. Okay. So it's one, two, three, shoot. You ready for it? One, two, three, shoot. Wait, you didn't. You I, all I didn't supposed understand. to go. I thought, all I three thought. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one, two, three, shoot. Oh, well, that's quick. All right, Cody. It's your question. <laughs> all right. So two papers and one scissor. Man. What, uh, what is the impulse to bring two separate art forms into the same space? Why yeah. do people do that? Where do we start? The impulse? Yeah. The impulse is the so there's the positive and there's the so there's the way you can talk about this positively. Mm -hmm. And then there's the way you can talk about it sort of in the negative. I've been and they're both together actually. So so like they're not it's not clean. Mm-hmm. So, but I just want to say, so like, so to talk about it without acknowledging the, the range, uh, makes the answers, um, disingenuine. Yeah, I get that. So, and so to say, I'll say this and then, then jump in. Um, the impulse is, uh, um, sort of bound up in what we are as humans. So the impulse comes from our purpose. And comes from um, a recognition that uh, it's a world that is meant to be put together. So, so we want to see things come together. Mm -hmm. Like I always say, like we're kind of meant to practice moments of aha, where you, mm -hmm. where it comes together, and you go, "Whoa!" Like, "Wow, that worked!" Whoa! You know, when you eat a meal and it comes together in your mouth, and you go, "Oh my gosh, that's so good." You know, or, you know, two people embrace that haven't seen each other in a long time. And you go, wow, that's so good. Um, like, you know, when you lock two pieces together and you're building something and they like come together, that's mm -hmm. a great feeling, right? Yeah. So when, when, a, when you solve a problem, mm -hmm. when you talk yourself through a conversation, you come out the other side and you're like, that made sense. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's that in the most positive sense, um, there is a sensible world that we're coming to comprehend. And so the arts often highlight 
the coming together through um, the stripped downness of utility that clouds us from seeing this everywhere. Mm. So we see it in, um, you know, you see it in work, you see it in different things, but because it's so pattern and normative, um, you can't always fully appreciate it. You know, you're kind of blind to it, but the arts is a kind of separated moment, if you will, can serve to highlight the coming together in a way that actually can be perceived, received, so that the awe uh, actually resonates. And, and actually you're given the space to properly respond to uh, the resonance and, and go, wow. You know, and then the question is, it, it confronts your worldview, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you believe about the world? Is that accident, chance? Yeah. You know, right? But that's at least a place to start. Yeah. That's interesting. Because what we found is in the particular series of performances, the the symphony dance combo was the weakest. Mm-hmm. It, it somehow seemed the least impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, when both pieces, the music and the dance, we thought about them separately. The music especially just didn't really hold up to the piece that came before it and the piece that came after it. Um, and mm-hmm. then the dance was interesting to observe, but it was hard to f- figure out like where it actually fit and why and what the necessity was outside of just the, the prior conceptual decision mm-hmm. that like someone wanted to compose music that would have a dance mm-hmm. happening at the same time. And then this morning I was thinking about other things like films, which are obviously highly um, complex, bringing togethers of a lot of different mm-hmm. uh, ways of making, which is funny that you talk about stories and shaping because I was thinking about movies. And like films can be so cohesive and so coherent in how they bring all the different elements together. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of got that that question bouncing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's like a... There's like three big things that my mind is kind of gravitating toward. Um, and and one is, um, gosh, it's, it's like how, how do you, it's such a big question. Um, but I think that um, my mind goes to a place where it's like the, as we're talking about like different like mediums or forms, uh, there is a necessary incompleteness to them. Like it is, it is a manner by which we do a thing in a world replete with goodness. Mm-hmm. So they're necessarily incomplete. So like exclusionary. Yeah. Sort so of like, by definition. So, so yeah, if, they're part, not whole. So when I have dance by itself, even the best version of dance is still going to feel incomplete. And I don't take that as a negative. I take that as a positive. Because um, we talk about things like generative uh, on the podcast. And things cannot be generative that are complete in a sense because what else do you need? The completeness is there. The fullness is is real. So in a sense, there is a, there is something about the incompleteness that is not a detriment, but is a positive. Um, and then I think about like the way that this was approached, um, you know, let's say 65 to 85 years ago. And so like, you know, modernists were very much in a space where they're like, where do we find the perfect art form? Where do we find the perfect combination? Where is the thing that resonates with fullness and completeness? Like the moment of integration. Yeah, and so the so you have things like you know Walter Gropius when he talks about the Bauhaus in the first manifesto of the Bauhaus, he's talking about the the cathedral being that thing. The cathedral is the the grand handiwork of all these people coming together, and it's an expression of you know the the Gesamtkunstwerk, the complete artwork. 
that the you know modernist Germans were like really jiving on a lot, but I but it never came to anything, right? It, it, the 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 kind of complete things that were being envisioned uh, involved a lot of destruction, involved a lot of totalitarianism, involved a lot of uh, mechanization of of organic forms uh, in a way that took away from some of the sort of beauty. Well, sort of the material, so that's the Searville thing is the elusiveness. So the material world, depending on your perspective, so it's like perspectives involved. Mm-hmm. So like when you, when you, so you can be looking at the same cathedral and the, I would say from my perspective, by definition, the cathedral always, this particular example, as in anything, will always be elusive to more. Yeah. But the perspective and expectations and perception of the person will um, deny them access to the elusivity. And I think that's a, it's a probably a, it's a helpful way to think about the idea of incompleteness is elusiveness, right? That it's, it's never fully comprehensible in a sense. It's always kind of escaping us at the corners of our eyes. Yeah. Well, cause it's enjoined to something more. Right. So that, that's to assume the continuity of reality. Like there's not breaks in reality. There's just break in breaks in our, pers- our ability to, interact with it uh, with reality in, in full um mm-hmm. and that that's a whole can be like a whole religious or philosophical discussion or a psychological yeah, yeah. discussion depending on what camp you're in but um but that doesn't mean that our ability to know totally and thoroughly has nothing to do with the totally and total and thoroughness of of reality mm-hmm. so so um and then and then there's those you know, macro questions, et cetera. But, um, so like, you know, like you can have a contained discrete unit and it can serve its function and well, and then that it's, that it can be contained and discrete is in and of itself an elusive gesture to containment and discreteness, um, that exceeds the bounds of the thing Mm -hmm. and then says something metaphorically about us as contained and discrete. And yet, able to aim towards or allude towards more right Mm -hmm. you know so when you when you multiply that you start to take on pressures to multiply experiences for other people and so so and it becomes interesting because you want to you want to see if you can solve the problem Mm -hmm. it's like it's like it sounds so cheap to say it that way and sometimes i really loathe when people say it this way because it's so buzzwordy to say problem solving Mm -hmm. but like you know there there is something about solving problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think solving problems, uh, to various scales and levels serves also as metaphor for, uh, something about our existence and mm-hmm. our need to have a problem solved. Um, well, as finite beings, we're always in a status, you could say the enduring problem and try to like lift off as much negative connotation, but just the enduring problem is like, we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, in some ways, the first problem that we're always coming against is just the acquirement of more understanding and knowledge mm-hmm. because we don't know everything right now. So it's a it's a continuous, constant process. And so it would make sense that problem solving would be sort of baked into what we do as creatures because yeah. we are always having to make, coming to the edge of what we know, having to make some type of imaginative leap mm-hmm. into what could be and then working on trying to bring those two points together to obtain a new knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's another thing that my mind was getting at that you're you're 
pushing up against Cody is that um, the arts, and this is going to be, these are my words, my opinions. Um, the arts are necessarily non-progressive. And what I mean by that is they're not moving to be more, even if they can be more, right? So they're not on a trajectory towards something better, which I think is kind of at play when a lot of people talk about things like collaboration or why we might feel the need to throw a dance with a piece of music mm -hmm. is that we, we assume um, in a sort of like uh, sort of a, with, with, with a kind of cultural peptic ulcer, we assume that what has been done is now passe. Like that, that is a natural, normal part. Mm -hmm. uh, not maybe not natural, but a normal part. Yeah, definitely of kind a pervasive of the art world. Yeah, it's very yeah. pervasive, right? It, it it definitely just to amen your point. It runs on secular progressivism. Yeah, the and, back of secular progressivism. And the thing is, is like uh, you know, an avant-gardeism. You yeah. still go into a museum and see some hand-carved furniture from like the 1400s or something that's like sitting somewhere pristinely behind some glass in a very climate-controlled thing. And you're like, wow, it's so amazing. Mm -hmm. While at the same time. I'm functionally being a person who says, yeah, but that's probably trash because it's already in the past. Mm -hmm. So when we have that, we would say, well, what makes a piece of music better? Oh, well, adding something to it, mm -hmm. like dance. It's like, well, what if actually combinatory equals lesser? Mm. You know, and I, and that's that's the the a progressive ideology within the arts is not going to allow you to say that adding something is detracting from it. Plus so it's not a possibility for you. Plus progressivism in in the arts is really so like the idea is like um it shifts to uh grounds of elitism mm -hmm. a lot of times that's yes. your avant-garde relationship to money and wealth and class is like boredom so it's like well i'm bored with yeah. this because well why well because i've already seen it mm -hmm. right that's about you that's not about anybody else and when it becomes exclusive and elite well then you're withholding this thing until you've used it and then discarded it yeah and then it's for the the common commoner or whatever right um that's so funny that makes me think of uh that's a classic scene in the movie the devil wears prada mm -hmm. where like the main fashion magazine mogul i mean it, it, yeah, yeah it's, it's a reference to what it is but <laughs> she's explaining to the main character just the process of high fashion basically being disseminated into like supermarket fashion yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah that's its life cycle and it just completely matches up with what you just yeah. described yeah, yeah yeah that's it so like so um so what happens is so here's what i'm saying is to your point is is the arts are something else but they're instrumentalized mm -hmm. um in the narrative framework of of um from avant-gardeism to just progress yeah, yeah and so progress has a utility and a, a functionality implicit in it and a set of expectations for us always to work towards making us better mm -hmm. but the problem is like there's no reference point to determine what a human is and what betterment is uh, by the by the worldview that talks not not that there isn't but in my assumption but by the worldview that puts forward forward the idea of progress so progress yeah. is a blind chance endeavor because there's no real aim other than utopic um leanings which are un, undefined mm -hmm. and so so what happens is the arts are lost to the instrumentalizing and um the aggrandizing of select people that yeah. need their egos propped up and so so um so then you have to make you have to do things like so you can you so progress is different than advancement yeah so you say, can advance and you, under, can, you can still change yeah you can change you can advance an understanding within a set of problems mm -hmm. how do i paint that 
Yeah, because well, we all know somebody who's grown up but hasn't matured. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's not that's not it. But to your point, it's like progress has has pushed artists that want the social capital mm-hmm. to the brink of unraveling things that they haven't actually really come to understand very well in order to maintain um, a ship moving downstream and calling it progress. So, so the outcomes are, are typically now, so we're so fatigued by this, actually. I think we're in the, the height of a culturally fatigued moment in the arts where there's still interesting things being made and, and that's worth discussing another time. But there's a lot of stuff that is iterative to the detritus of this progressive project. Mm-hmm. And so we're just, we're recycling the trash and calling it the work. Mm-hmm. And the trash is uh, perpetuating a dehumanizing effect and uh, furthering something other than what we think it's furthering. Mm-hmm. And so all the while, art is still sort of like there as a very earthen endeavor mm-hmm. that is still elusive to all the other stuff that, that is untapped. Um, and much more like a garden, you know, much more like vegetables growing seasonally in a garden. Mm-hmm. We're more of that than we are, um, the transhumanist project of becoming something else. Like that's the full dehumanization. If you don't know what that means at this point, it means you're no longer human, mm-hmm. but said who though, you know? So, so when you, when you flip it backwards, um, that's the, this is the, this is the, there is the um, the world that is, mm-hmm. and then there's the world we're making. Mm-hmm. And we don't know enough about the world that is uh, to take many of us from continuing in the world that we're making and, 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 uh, and to our own demise. Mm-hmm. Not to always go there, but it's, it's just such the moment that we're in. So the dark side of, or the, the downside of this is, um, is that um, that's why a lot of people are trying to bring things together because they're dissatisfied because uh, they think they've consumed, except for when you go to museums. When I go to museums now, mm-hmm. man, I'm looking at stuff and I am nourished by paintings that were made 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like like there's no, it's it's either vital and from this world or it isn't. It either nourishes or it doesn't. The question is what is it and and how do I get out of the way of that enough to be open to like um, the goodness of the possibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if I'm coming with um, bored, needy, um, selfish eyes and expectations, man, um, I can't afford to spend my time there because I'm supposed to be progressing and I need my identity propped up as I progress. But if I step off that carousel, I can afford and make it worth my time to encounter something you know, like a, a painting from 1700s or whatever. Can I kind of, this is, a, this might be a little bit of brain debris, but I think it does track. Uh, so hopefully y'all see how it tracks. <clears throat> All right. So the, the Augustine retrospective is, I don't know if it's live now in DC or if it's, it is, soon. I think it is. <clears throat> so I think we're got to go in the summer. Well, man, we'll see how that all plays out. But yeah. it's, it's going to be a fantastic show and it's way overdue and shame on the curators for being spineless turds. And not letting it happen when it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, they've heard from enough curators and people around the country that they hopefully know by now they made a really stupid decision. Yeah. But um, Washington, D.C. Just to make my two cents. Dumb choice. Sound right there on the table. Um, but uh, in preparation to going, uh, I read the new book that Penguin Press put out, mm-hmm. a collection of some discussions, letters, pieces of Augustine's called uh, I Paint What I Want to See. 
And um, it like really wrecked the way I see things in a very positive way because it, 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 it destroyed a lot of what we're talking about in this like kind of progressive uh, mushy oatmeal that happens. Um, and so he's talking about his, his early work. <clears throat> and if you read anything from Gustin, you're going to read about his infatuation with like Italian Renaissance painters. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean like obsession, like level sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's talking about that. And then he's mentioning some of his early work that's much more representational. And it's, it's like, it's like uh, line by line, color by color, like uh, almost recreations of these Italian masters mm-hmm. with very different subject matter, um, but with slight changes to maybe the nature of the line or the way that perspective is dealt with or focus on things or whatever else it is. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about that. And so my mind keeps going back and forth. And it's one of those things where it feels a little bit like some curtains are opened a little bit more and you mm-hmm. see into a room better. And so it, it, it just has been wrecking me. So my daughter's been going through um, some kind of art his- history sort of stuff and dealing with some um, Italian masters and looking at some of their work. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, now I'm seeing modern painting in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then the other night on YouTube, randomly, there was this video uh, that was about uh, it was it was some like um, it was in the inside of a, a like a Romanian monastery. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of had this sort of. Uh, an Eastern Orthodox like flatness to it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so all of the all of the colors were these kind of beautifully muted like natural kind of colors, but they were done in like flat uh, color fields. Mm-hmm. And then even the the icons themselves had that flatness that wasn't flat, it, you know, if you're tracking. And so I look at that, and all I'm seeing in these like hundreds and hundreds of year old like wall like fresco painting things is modern art. Like that's mm-hmm. all I'm seeing yeah. while at the same time seeing like Italian masters that were probably painting realistic air quotes used forms after this yeah. was painted. Yeah. So I'm seeing all this stuff and it's just wrecking the way that I'm thinking. And I'm like, we haven't progressed anywhere. Yeah. Cause it's not about progression. It's and, something different. And at the same time we haven't progressed anywhere and we've barely tapped the subject. That's right. So it's like, you can't go somewhere that you haven't even go. You can't go past a place you haven't actually been to yet. Yeah. And that's you can't what we're go doing. beyond it. So we have a colleague, I won't say who, but with a friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll know by what I'm going to say, but they're sharing with me yesterday that just how sick they sick of and tired of some of this. They are in the sense that someone from, so this person is a painter of figure, mm-hmm. um, is, um, critiqued, had a student who, has a professor in the painting department say that this other person's paintings have nothing to do with contemporary art. And so therefore dismissing their work because it's figurative and has some, heaven forbid. yeah, heaven forbid. And so it's like such a pathetic cop out of an argument on behalf of that person in that painting department um, because they're, um, they're, Flaw, like they've literally put themselves in in the position to be the person in a couple of years that is the recipient of the same criticism mm-hmm. from somebody else who's sort of arrogant and ignorant, just like them. Yeah, yeah. it guarantees it, mm-hmm. and uh, because that it, it assumes that in this line of progress, there's no such thing as enduring value. There's only momentary garbage that you consume, and it gives you a status for two seconds, and then it's gone. 
Because what else could it be? Mm-hmm. There's only eminence. There's no transcendence in the conversation at all. And so heaven forbid someone works in categories of larger streams that have greater transcendence, but you can't see it because you're living in this contemporary moment and you've locked your horse and buggy and your identity mm-hmm. to progressivism, yeah, secular pro- progressivism. And so you have to always live at the fringe of whatever is being made and whatever is being made somehow magically magically has the assurance of being uh the only thing and the best thing which is chronological snobbery and uh a lie essentially and so my surprisingly untestable you can't test it exactly right so my point is this have at it because you won't be here tomorrow Mm-hmm. keep thinking that way yeah and to the colleague of ours keep doing what you're doing mm-hmm. and their opinions are utterly irrelevant to the actual work you're doing and so your work will live longer than their whack opinion mm-hmm. and their um smug elitism mm-hmm. and their very temporary very limited understanding sometimes the people that claim to be the most inclusive are the most exclusive. In fact, I always find it to be the case. Yeah. And so, and so all that to say is it's a it's a anecdote of literally what we're talking about, which is we've we've done what we do is we've splintered from the question a little <laughs> bit. But 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 it, it, it's it's the um because Gareth brought up the point that the worldview framing um the why mm-hmm. sends us into different traje- trajectories. Mm-hmm. And in that uh one worldview doesn't permit us the ability to actually see what's there Mm -hmm, so we have to see what moves us so this okay so it just does it technology has to facilitate an artificial experience of knowing and seeing Mm -hmm. that is contained within the means and advancements of the technology itself so you are you are piggybacking on the next iPhone, the next augmented reality device, the next AI. Like, so you've you've locked yourself to the matrix in that sense. Like mm-hmm. it it is what you've done because the and then you're you've created and this is like ironic to our questions because we did not talk about this, but so the narrative mm-hmm. of progressivism and secularism has shaped you into that kind of person. You are a prisoner of your worldview. And you actually have to have someone rescue out of it. You ain't gonna be, you're not going to be able to get out of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, postmodernism wanted to put things together um, with the assumption that nothing has any coherence to it, mm-hmm. so that uh, the shards or the broken parts uh, that really have no meaning or coherence can be used any way the artist sees fit. It's a freeform collage. So it's freeform. It's, it's bricolage. It's collage. It's pastiche, and it's. Um, the height of narcissism Mm -hmm. because it's all about the individual wielding the aggregate parts and it's here's the funny part about it is it's an appeal to the maestro or to the conductor which is a very much a historic and old idea the the grand orchestrator the Mm -hmm. grand narrator so in the name of doing away with grand narration um my favorite hypocrisy is the people that poo-pooed at the hardest are striving to become the new grand narrator by orchestrating all the perceived parts that they've put beneath them as organizable, including, you know, big productions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so that's the dark side is the narrative and the aggrandizement and the, um, the bound assumptions that this is the only kind of way it can be because my lens does not permit me to see any other way. 
Well, and that was that was my third thing that actually well, I was thinking when about this question is um, <clears throat> when you ask like what is the what is the impulse to put these things together? You have to talk about uh, the fact that individualized experience has taken the place of community historically, mm-hmm. right? So through the the wonderful twentieth century experience of uh, experiment of you know destroy everything we possibly can. Um, one of the things that we've lost is really something again that we talk about a lot on the podcast, which is the building of community, the knowing and being known. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think a lot of folks would say, "Well, well, the impulse to put some things together is that th- I think there could be a very real, uh, loosely used, very real experiential uh, depth to the person who kind of." conducted the experiment of putting the dance and the music together that did vibe with them. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be a very individualized experience that was like, this is, yeah, this, this hits the points because of whatever backlog of experience mm-hmm. and knowledge and interests and desires and memories, everything that's coming forward as my personal, like the personal baggage that becomes my perception of this thing has now allowed it to be really great. But that doesn't mean that thing is actually going to communicate, period, to anyone else, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I, I would say probably one of the most difficult parts of any type of artistry, period, mm-hmm. is, is this thing that is like loved by you and beautiful in your eyes, is it actually anything to anyone else? Sometimes it is. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it is. Not. Well, and that's the, so one of the, um, the sort of, uh, so when I was in going through art school, I experienced the pivot in like the it, like the literal conscientious pivot from like 1998 to say 2003. Um, you could literally experience the shift to saying, um, and it really became more expressive and pervasive up into like 2008. Just the, the thing we just hold as an assumption now about the arts, which is um, people moving away from what does it mean and what I mean too, I found this interesting. Mm. Is it interesting? So I found this interesting. Is it interesting? And so, so as a grounds for justifying what you do, because who could judge you for what you find interesting? Mm-hmm. So it so started as a personal pushes further into the novelty, yes, or the avant garde, yes, it? yeah, yeah. So, so it became the new cover for I can't appeal to narrative or meaning because to do so would be to um, suggest to you how you should feel about this. All I could tell you is this is interesting. And if you agree with me, you'll be there. You'll agree with me. You'll, you'll say that's interesting. It's almost like a tautology. Yeah. So, so very much. And so, mm-hmm. so as that progresses, it, it bursts the kind of world that moves from interest to likes, you know, uh, where it's like, I like it too. Okay, I like it. We all like it. And um, all the while, you know, you know, there's the people that get the, there's the people at the top that get through and then they may, maybe they make things that actually impact other people. But we're stunted in our thinking about what we do uh, to like like intonation and, you know, like so this is where I mean, dude, I watched this happen where people stopped talking with authority and started talking like, you know, it's like it's sort of like, um, you know, well, I just I sort of found it like really, you know like really interesting. And so like, um, I started tweaking these two things and then I put it together with this other thing and you know, like, I don't know, what is it? I don't know, but it's interesting. Don't you think it's interesting? And then people will go, yeah, yeah. It's like sort of, you know, like and 50 million sort of 50 million. And then I, I, I toned down 
because I'm inferior and mystified by what's in front of me. So I'm very shamanistic without letting you know that. So I'm trying to lead you into my reality. It's like a, it's a game, but it's a game that, um, you know, it's like pulling your head over a blanket, the flashlight and reading a book and then trying to squeeze a bunch of people into there. At some point it stinks. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's not enough space. It doesn't, you're stunting what you're doing, who you are and then what the effect is. And you're creating a rubric and an experience that, um, has no potential to be seen for what it could be pointing to outside of yourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, the elusive part. Um, and so, so that becomes boring at some point we are there. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is like, we're so saturated. We don't even know it. There's no Mm -hmm. cultural memory. And so people are just, um, recycling, you know, a lot of ideas are just being recycled Mm -hmm. because they're not being understood. Mm-hmm. So we're 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 just surface appearances. You're almost uh, if you're not able to understand a thing, but you recognize that maybe a version of it had power at some point. You just recycle it, thinking that oh, if there was some potency, if I just recycle it, I'll capture the potency. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know what gave it potency Sorry. or meaning, yeah. but it did. And so let me just do the same thing again. But every iteration's a lower quality. So version. my favorite, so my, I've said it years ago, but this is, this is like ties tightly in. So my favorite example of this, and I believe that I, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. Chuck Berry. Do y'all know who Chuck Berry yeah. is? What, what is Chuck Berry known for? Music? Yeah. Playing a guitar? Uh-huh. Genius, right? Uh-huh. So you got Chuck Berry. Yeah. You know, I'll just walk it down. You got Chuck Berry, you have Little Richard, piano, eccentric. So put Chuck Berry and Little Richard together and you've got a little something. And then you get James Brown, Mm. musical genius right mm-hmm. he can dance he could sing he he's a uh, reconstructing the energy and the tempo and uh the starting point of of the mu- funk the music the mm-hmm. soul right godfather of soul right and so then you get Jimi hendrix mm-hmm. and in like so you've got these pivot points right and then uh for me then you get to prince and prince is like all of those dudes in one person yeah yeah Right, so he plays a guitar, he writes music, he is brilliant. So you're seeing the development of something, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get to Outkast. Mm -hmm. And Outkast is brilliant within their lane, all-time favorite. Mm -hmm. But now it's not enough. So Andre wants to cross over into this other stream. Yeah. And so he does the song, I Think I'm In Love, Mm -hmm. um, and he can't play the guitar. Yeah. So they strip the song down to the two chords he can play. And then he stylizes it in the video and he's channeling these other people. By the way, Prince is still alive at this point and it can still play circle. I mean, it's not even a, it's like a, a dead person and a live person comparatively. Yeah, yeah. So he does the thing and everybody's like, oh my gosh, look at Andre playing the guitar. And it's like, he's not playing the guitar and I love Andre, mm-hmm. but he's stylizing, he's phrasing, he's riffing off of, he's, He's reduced all this history to the need for him to be interesting. Mm -hmm. He sacrificed history and submitted to the greatness of others. I'm just saying this is a read. So what happens? Lil Wayne comes along and goes, I don't even need to play the guitar. I'm just going to hold it on the cover of my album. All I need is the reference. Mm -hmm. I just need you to upload the value of that. I don't have to deliver it to you. You don't need to hear it. I don't got to go through the work of playing it. We just have the swag. So what do we have now? We have a culture that does that mm-hmm. through social media. The amount of people that if you talk to them would fall down in their impotency 
taking photographs of themselves, posturing like they're gangsters, mm-hmm. looking tough, but they're like kids that are like from like like having grown up around gangsters. I'm like that is hilarious to me. But that's that's what we do is we are at the point where we just are skin deep surface appearance posturing mm-hmm. because of the way this this worldview works. It, it degradates. It doesn't. It it degradates. Like like I could I could never get over like. Why is it cool that little Wayne's holding a guitar when you still have Prince who can play it and put on a show? Like, well, well, why? Well, because Prince is already a known thing. So this is part of the, you know, mm-hmm. and like we like to see things come together that we say in our constructive narratives don't go together. So what are you saying? Are you saying little Wayne because he's a rapper can't play music? Well, that's not true because the roots all play their own. The uh, guys yeah. in the band played their own instruments. So like so we. Good. Right, like so. How many? I can go through all kinds of people. Uh, Rakim mm-hmm. uh, played the drums on the on his own music for Juice. Yeah, he played the drums. He played them. He didn't pretend to play them. He actually played them. Mm-hmm. Why do we celebrate the absence of ability and the posturing of image? Well, that's what we started doing. You, you know, you could you can look back. We crossed a, pe- a precipice where it, the value of learning the value of doing for the ends of the outcome was not worth its weight in social capital any longer. So we cut corners because we're buying into this notion of progress and we're always going to look for path of, of least resistance to get to the, the ends that we, we think are, you know, good or whatever. And then, and then we're left a prisoner of like having lived it, Mm -hmm. but you didn't live it all. You never learned the joy of playing guitar. Yeah. You never really learned it. You know what I'm saying? Like if you also didn't learn the ability to submit to the fact that you're not that good just because you think your social status and virtue and identity says otherwise. Yeah. False reality. So then you get a scenario of pretty much just coasting on what has previously been done. And then you have to trivialize it. That's why you can't go back into the museum and have your eyes opened. Because to do so would to be to admit that you're inferior. Yeah. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways we can look at this and say, uh, yeah, I think we've, we've diagnosed a lot of the problems mm-hmm. with your question, but I think there's also a way to, to speak about, because I think uh, one way that would be a bad move forward is mm-hmm. if we said the only way to answer your question is by uh, critiquing all the problems with, yeah. with the, the historical, the social, everything, which is, which is a definite like huge valid part of it because we have to get at what, what the better question is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and not saying your question is bad. I'm saying the better question in terms of how, how we're asking it that would cause your question to be a question. Well, I think it was, it was an interesting experience to see the whole performance, not just the one with the dancing, but all of them, because by its very nature, a symphony is the coming together, very different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was already the context of like, we're watching bassoons and cellos and violins and horns and drums and all these very things that you do not play the same way. Mm-hmm. Like you do not get to just lay down your violin and go pick up the trumpet and do what you do with the violin with the trumpet. Right. You don't. So it's already like integrating together in this beautiful music under both the written score that the composer created, but then also the direction mm-hmm. of the composer. Yeah. So there's like these multiple points of 
submission, if you're okay with Mm -hmm. that word, you know, submitting to the music that's written, submitting to the instrument that is designed to be played yeah, a certain you're way. You're submitted to the, the Sub- organization and composition. Exactly. Hierarchy, actually. Hierarchy. You're submitted to the physical space in which it's performed. Yeah, it exactly. demands a hierarchy. You can't have symphony without hierarchy. And That's then, really, like, the yeah. outcome is an extraordinarily unified experience mm-hmm. where you actually aren't for mostly having your attention being drawn to the parts. Mm-hmm but they're integrating into a whole that then permits you to then go back to the parts and see them all in reference mm-hmm. to the whole. So, so that was the context that then you move into another scenario of parts mm-hmm. that are not integrating. So, um, the, so the cinema integrates uh, bodies in motion and sound. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and narrative. And narrative. So it, yeah, and I think, I mean, you're, when what you have... Um, so if we think about the things that integrate well, like you're talking about symphony, um, you you talk about cinema, you talk about something like uh, like going like the three of us getting in a car and going somewhere to eat. The way those things integrate well, one person is going to be driving, mm-hmm. but all of us will be in relationship to one another. And I think when those things don't work, it's because we we think a lot about the individualization and less about the integration, and so we don't have. Uh, we've we've failed to consider relationships because what's at play in collaboration is not the individual voice. What's at play in collaboration is the way that we can make something feel like a complete whole out of multiple parts. And remember, that complete whole is elusive to something more, mm-hmm. no matter how grand in scale it is. Is it kind of it's it fundamentally depends on a prior experience of the world of being a lot of parts that still somehow feels like a complete whole. And and a lot and some of that means that you you are probably coming at the impulse from an internal space. Mm-hmm. You have a desire, you have kind of cards on the table, something you want, something you want to do, something you've been moved in, you have something like that. But also, uh, it means that you have to step out of it. So, you know, Ryan, we were talking uh, earlier before about like first person third person views. Mm-hmm. You can't when we prioritize only the first person view, you're going to get something that get doesn't implosion. accord with Cody. Yeah, it's implosion. It, that's atomistic. So we've we've atomized, and that's why, say, when when it comes, like we talk about diversity, and most uh, people that will champion diversity, it becomes a discrete unit and not diversity in the sense of what that means because you have to look like everyone else and sign off and agree for it to be diversity. It's, it's, it, it's a worldview that buckles under the weight of its own own declaration because it's exclusive, not inclusive, actually. Mm-hmm. So, because it's not inclusive, anybody disagrees. Right. It's not real diversity. It's actually, um, it's a uniformity. Mm-hmm. So, it's uniformly agreeing around a, a social set, loosely held social set of factors. So, like, so there's no conversation there. You can't have conversation because to say that is like to get you into trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're, because you said it earlier, it's like when we move into uniformity, we move into totalitarianism to yeah. maintain our social status and position. Mm-hmm. That is a hundred percent where we're at. Mm-hmm. So we are there, and um, and yet, just outside your door is the other world with all the other possibilities. It just requires you to submit to the fact that you're not it, like you're not enough by yourself. And there's actually possibly something greater than you, or others that were or that are. And hierarchy is is um, so hierarchy in, in the one world exists in ways where people say there isn't. So it's sort of the emperor emperor's uh, 
you know, new clothes, or whatever. It's like yeah. Emperor, Emperor's got no clothes on. Yeah. You're saying there's no hierarchy, but that's the hierarchical voice, mm-hmm. right? So who, do I have to obey you? Because there's no hierarchy. So how do you organize your point? Um, raw power. Okay, cool. Well, that's the hierarchy. Yeah. So you can't get around it. Um, patriarchy will win whether it's obvious or unobvious. Mm-hmm. Let the hear hear. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. So the question is, what's the hierarchy? Because there is always a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So narrative requires a hierarchy. Music requires a hierarchy. Um, you can make it flat, but then it'll operate. You make a flat painting, but it'll operate on the hierarchy of the building and the the person with the money who spent the money to like make the gallery that allows you to come in and sell your work and get fifty percent of the. Uh, of what you sold while they're while they're organizing when and how and where you show mm-hmm. so you're always negotiating these things so so we're denying reality and trying to operate in non-reality and and when you operate in non-reality it actually uh dehumanizes you and, and dislocates you and untethers you further uh from that which is locatable mm-hmm. and organizable and so it's either chaos or order. Yeah. It also creates so much extra work. It's a lot gotta, of work. You got to do so complete new world building. Yep, new world uh, building to make all this stuff. And you're using the borrowed parts of the world that is. Yep. But the only way you can use them is to tear those down and call it build up. Yeah. It doesn't work. Total total departure from the conversation, but really not. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Be- because because this is the stream that has forced these conversations. So mm-hmm. there is the coming together towards the ends of humanizing and flourishing, or they're towards the ends of destruction and dehumanizing. There's just two streams. People mm-hmm. will hate, hate, you know, someone like me saying that, but um, I'll talk to anybody about it. You can tell me a million whatabouts, right? But they'll all organize under one of those two, two categories ultimately. Yeah. They, you know, you, you'll be able to find its place in other, other one of those categories. Well, what's funny is, and maybe it's kind of a, a point we can kind of kind of put the flag in the ground. Yeah. With, but if the three of us were go to, would go to a new restaurant and we had heard things about it, like, oh, this is interesting, good, whatever, let's, let's check it out. And we went. Um, we would not have to have a conversation about the food if it were good. There would be an, there would be an, like almost a, a, an understanding, like, like with our eyes. In a nonverbal way, we would be able to just be like, yeah. Like there would be... There would be physical manifestations of our body language, of our, of our the totality of who we are mm-hmm. to communicate that. Whereas if it were um, avant-garde, if it were putting together things that maybe you didn't think, if it was like a, you know, like a fusion edginess thing mm-hmm. going on, um, we would have a conversation to diagnose and discuss it. There would be a necessity to fill the gap that it did not fill with our words, yeah. with our discussions, with our seemingly... Uh, necessary conversation the and and unavoidably one of the things that we would say about it is well it was very interesting and we all know culturally the code word interesting is like lacking lacking it's interesting but it's also so yeah yeah it's lacking and it's a pivot into uh justification for non-action well, it's taking it's it takes taking, accountability off of you it's taking an embodiment of the reality that we have when we you have something you kind of you kind of like just kind of dip into your chair and go, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. And you kind of uh, communicate that. It's taking that and saying that the, the fullness of my reaction, the physicality, the emotionality, the, the mentality that's going into that reaction of knowing the thing is good, of experiencing it is good, and having a, a, a bodily effect of that. And then we're saying, oh, I'm going to compartmentalize this into a rational discussion now. Mm-hmm. Because it is so lacking, mm-hmm. I can only talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I can't communicate it. Yeah. Especially if 
if you have exterior set of values or pressures to say the experience is good mm -hmm. if it wasn't. Right. And then you have to talk a lot about how good it was to make up for how yeah. it wasn't. I, because there's, you're under some type of pressure. I had an experience where uh, Callie and I years back went to go see a movie that was lauded by critics as very good, as like stunningly beautiful and the storyline was moving and all these sort of things. And we went with some uh, really pretentious people um, to go see it. Um, and it was like one of those things where we're like, we don't care about this movie for the most part. We'll see it later. We went and saw it. And at, when we got out, I destroyed the conversation by sharing my opinion. Because when we got out, the one of the, the, the one of the guys was like, "Hey, uh, wasn't that just like stunning?" And I was like, "It was super pedantic." And we didn't talk for the rest of the night because the only thing we could do with that movie was just talk about it because the experience was so void of any cohesiveness or meaning beyond the hour and forty five minutes we were in there. It was such a just a like a, it was a dead bird sitting on the table mm -hmm. when we got out. We that comment. So you don't want to talk about a dead bird as though it were alive. No. Yeah. You just want to. You're like that's what yeah. it is. We yeah. can talk about it in a meaningful sense as that. Yeah. Which is usually what critique can be. Yeah. Or criticality or whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but or you could talk about what it could have been and what mm -hmm. was missed, which is to say like oh the life it could have lived. Well, if it had been this, it could have lived that life. But you can't. Or you can you sit know. there and say oh look, its plumage is so nice. Yeah. And of course, you can talk about from your personal experience because we're developmental. So what one person, the, the kid who's amazed at mac and cheese, who hasn't had grandma's homemade mac and cheese, yeah. has, has, has some joy ahead of him. And, mm -hmm. and that's where, we, where, where we're non-hierarchical. I mean, where we're not flat and we are hierarchical, there are levels and degrees of knowing and experiencing. That means somebody actually knows better than someone else yeah. just by definition. Otherwise, you can't have a society and we don't grow. Mm -hmm. So it's just part and parcel to being humans growing up and, and then going back into the ground of our own flower beds all the time. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's bonkers how, how much we're living in a schism between reality and non-reality. And I don't care anymore. I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not indulging that. That's false. And you're going to be so totalitarian in your suppositions that I'm going to have to go ahead and just not agree with you and mm -hmm. take a stand because like, because actually there are artists that need to be called to, to their greater selves, what, mm -hmm. what they're actually meant to be. And there's a society that accords with reality that needs, to, that needs to come forward because people can't pick what they haven't seen. Yeah. Well, I think it is, it is a, maybe as a closing point, it's really important to, to realize that what we're not saying is that these things should be separate and should not be going together. Yeah. Um, what we are saying, I think is it is a much harder, thing to put things together well it is much more difficult to find the fittedness in the world around us in its discrete parts well, it's, and, and it's hard because you have these factors that compete and, and interfere one of those is your desire the other is then so i'm just going to make a shameless plug is actually how you're shaped by a narrative mm -hmm. i think the next episode we should do that i think it makes sense it works into it because it, it really kind of well. works really well because mm -hmm. that, that is a thing like we should talk about it's like the question I pose is like, does story does story shape us? Mm -hmm. well, I think we know, we've had a pretty good historical diagnosis, uh, philosophical, but um, also kind of existential in some ways. Moving a narrative, and I think if we get to then the third one being the digital uh, digital effects on craft, mm -hmm. then I think we can get. It feels like a pretty good progression of thoughts. Yeah, uh, it becomes an oddly uh, cohesive. cohesive conversation yeah. over a few weeks. Thanks. Go figure.
So this is great. I think it's a good, you know, again, like we like to do, we're just going to drop you on the front porch and let you sit there for a minute and think through what we got. But um, that's it for this week. It's good to be back. Glad y'all were here with us. And like always, we say we love you guys. You're a fantastic audience. We'll check you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.